All right, so we're reading through the book of John together, and hopefully you've been, you've been following along. The, the story of John is this incredible picture of the good news of Jesus, and there's so much good news when it comes to Jesus. And almost week by week, we, we keep getting these stories that are almost like movies, like scenes in movies. And the, the whole point is to draw you in to understand a little bit more about who Jesus is. And the big picture, if you miss everything else in the series, is this. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. Like the stories of Jesus are giving us a picture of who God is and how he wants to interact with the world. Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So don't miss that in these stories, that this is a picture of how God wants to interact with us. And it is good news. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, it's okay to talk in church. You can talk back to me a little bit. It's always good. Get us going. Okay, so this week, we're going to be reading chapters, not right now, some, this will scare some of you, chapters 7, 8, and 9. So uh, you'll, you'll encounter some unbelievable stories in these three chapters. And if you haven't started reading the book of John, you can start today and catch up really quick. The, those first uh, six chapters don't take a lot of time to read, so jump in, read uh, read your stinking Bible. There's good stuff in there, all right? Okay, the, the story I want to tell you today is, is like one of my favorite stories in the entire book of John, and it is this captivating story. Now, I, I've got to warn you, if, if you've grown up in church, if you've been around church, you've probably heard the story before, all right? And I want to invite you maybe to, to, to set aside some preconceived ideas and kind of come into the story like you're coming to a movie that maybe is based on a true story, but you're not quite sure exactly how it's all going to turn out. Like, is there going to be a different ending? I'm not going to change scripture. I promise you of that. But, but, but come to the story maybe with some fresh eyes. Can you, can you do that? Okay, let's set the scene. Uh, Jesus has come to Jerusalem. And in the Jewish faith, there are... Uh, some huge festivals. Let's just call them parties. Do you guys like to party? Come on. I know you're in, I know you're in church, but you like to, everybody likes to, a good party, right? So there are these, these huge, uh, huge festivals and parties for the Jewish people. There were like three primary ones that were like the huge blowouts every year. And this one was called the Festival of Sukkot or the, uh, the Festival of the Tabernacles, okay, the Festival of the Booths. And what they were celebrating was the time when God led the children of Israel through the Promised Land, through the desert. And since we're in the desert, this is a great festival for us. So all these people, it was probably in Jesus' day the biggest festival in Jerusalem. All these people would come to Jerusalem for this week-long party. Come on, a week-long party. So we'll call it spring break. So all these people gather in Jerusalem for spring break, and Jesus is there. Uh, the first day of the festival, they would gather at the temple. All these uh, Jewish people who, who loved God and wanted to see God reestablish his reign in the world, they would, they would gather at the temple. And if you can imagine some, some huge pillars at the temple, I mean, humongous, much higher than the solar panels that we've, we've put up, huge, huge towers. And on the top of those towers were some huge bowls that they would fill with oil, and they would light those for this festival, and they would burn all week long, signifying God's presence among his people. I've been trying to think of, like, what's a picture in our world that we could see that? It's like going to New York City, the city that never 
sleeps and go, yeah, Times Square, you're down. If, if you have like a, a hotel room in that area that the, the blinds don't work, you can't sleep because the light, that's how it was. In fact, in this day, they said that when they lit those towers, that everyone in Jerusalem thought that they could see as if it were the day in the middle of the night. That's how bright these were. Now, keep that in mind. Jesus is teaching, and he'll teach, and then he hits night, and so he slips off, and he goes to sleep. And then this story in particular, Jesus comes back near the temple, and crowds have gathered. People are interested in what Jesus is going to say. So you have crowds of people gathered around wondering what Jesus is up to. Now, I want us to imagine that we are that, that crowd. Can you, can you do that? Can you be in the movie with me? Okay, half of you, yes. The rest of you, you got to listen. Okay, so crowds have gathered. Let's imagine a crowd like this, and they're listening to Jesus teach, just wondering, what is Jesus going to tell us on behalf of God? Now, in the middle of Jesus' teaching and preaching, a commotion begins to take place behind the crowd. And all of a sudden, this group of men walk to the front, they push the people aside, and they come to the front. These men are like the most respected men in the Jewish faith. They are the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders. They're the ones who know everything about God's law. And all of a sudden, they push up in front of everyone, a woman. Now, I want you to imagine this woman who is probably devastated, embarrassed, and filled with shame. I, I, I picture her not even being able to lift her head because of what's taking place. These, these religious people, these Pharisees, have placed her in front of Jesus, and they've said, this woman, without a name, was caught in adultery. And in the law, in the book, the God that you, you, you claim to speak for, Jesus, that God says that this woman should be put to death by stoning. So, Jesus, what do you say? So we have this powerful scene taking place. And John tells us that Jesus just kneels down in front of the whole crowd. And you can imagine kind of this hush, wondering, like, what's Jesus going to say? And he starts writing in the dust. Every now and then I, I have this moment where um, I want to talk to my kids and I ask them a question and, and they ignore me completely. Are there any parents in the room? <laughs> it's like this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's, he's writing in the sand, in the dust, ignoring the question of the religious leaders, but they stay on him. No, no, Jesus, you have to speak to this. They're trying to trap him. Jesus, you have got to speak to, to, to what's taking place here. So Jesus stands, and he looks at the Pharisees, and he says, okay, that's what the law says. So, so I want the first one of you who has not sinned, I want you to throw the first stone. Whichever one of you is without sin in your own life. You, you, you begin the trial. And then he kneels down and he starts to write again. And scripture tells us that one by one, and I love the details that John gives us, beginning with the oldest, the men slip away. And Jesus 
having scribbled something in the dirt, sees that all these have these men, these Pharisees have slipped away, and he 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 looks at the woman, and now they're they're alone, and he he says, well, "Where are they? Where where did they go? Has has not one has not one condemned you?" And imagine the tears streaming down her face. Maybe for the first time, understanding forgiveness and grace, unlike anything she's ever experienced in her life before, the tears streaming down her face, and Jesus, who who, who is thought to speak on behalf of God, says to her, then neither do I. Then neither do I. And now, go and sin no more. Like, like begin a new kind of life in this world. End scene. Oh. Like, that's a movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a movie. And um, <laughs> um, when I'm reading Scripture, and, and, and I've learned this from, from some very wise pastors and, and scholars, it's important to write questions of the text to, to, to try to discover exactly what's going on and what's the meaning that, that's helpful for us. And so I've, I've written some questions. Maybe some of these will be helpful for us. The first one is this. Why, why were they trying to trap Jesus, and, and how were they doing that? I mean, these religious leaders, uh, in some ways, were of the same faith that Jesus was. They were on the same team. You know, every now and then, um, people ask me about other churches in our area, and, like, like, we're on the same team. Like, we all want to expand God's kingdom in this area, and there are plenty of people who need to hear the, the good news, amen, right? And, and so we're on the same team. So why are they trying to trap Jesus? Why don't they just let him continue on bringing God's grace to the world? Well, the reason is, is because they thought he was teaching a false gospel, a false truth about who God was. And so for them, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus, they, they were not, in their minds, on the same team as Jesus. Jesus was doing something new. So why? Why were they trying to, to trap Jesus? Um, the second question that I asked as I was reading through this is this. Um, where was the man? Now, in, in, the, in the first service, like, like from the women in the room, there was a big amen. Like, where was the man? Like, if adultery, it takes two, right? So... So why just the woman brought up in front? Why not the man? Does he just get a free pass? Which doesn't seem fair. And so I scratched my head. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe he was one of the others. And they just didn't know it. Did they really catch her in the middle of adultery? Now, there's hashtag things you shouldn't say in church. And this is one of those. <laughs> but, but John says that they caught her in the middle of adultery. Uh, the next question, we'll move on. <laughs> what was Jesus writing on the ground? Have you ever wondered that? Like, like what, what, was, what was he drawing here on the ground? And scholars have debated this for years. Some people think uh, that Jesus was writing Scripture. Uh, because of the time, the, the festival that they were celebrating, there would be certain Scriptures that they would be referring to. And so some people think he was writing Scripture other people think he was writing the names of the men who had brought the woman to the front. Like some people think, you know, probably writing their names on the ground. The most common thought 
is that Jesus was writing the men's sin on the ground, like those who had claimed. Now, we, we don't have any biblical evidence, so that, that's all scholars just trying to figure it out. But, but some think that Jesus was writing the, the, the sins of the men who stood before him. Which leads me to the next question. Like, why did the oldest man leave first? Why did the oldest man leave first? Um, when Jesus, as the light of the world, when, when he illuminates something, like in this scene, it could, it could almost be like there's this spotlight on this woman, you know, who was brought to the front, like there's this spotlight. But when Jesus shows up, Jesus isn't just a spotlight on people. He is a light that illuminates everything. And, and here's what I believe was taking place, that Jesus, as the light, was more interested in exposing everything so they would all understand their need for God's grace. And could it be that the oldest man left first because he had the most to hide? There's this, um, there's this truth that all of us have darkness in our life. You know that? And I know we don't like to admit that, do we? We, we, don't, we don't want other people to see that. We don't. But the truth is, we all are broken. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all hurt other people. And um, we all have these things that we want to hide, and Jesus exposes it. Uh, we often point out the sin and brokenness in others in an effort to keep the spotlight and attention off our own sin and brokenness. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? I found this to be true as a pastor um, time and time again, that the people who like to point out other people's sins the most usually have things they're hiding deep within themselves that they don't want anyone else to know about. And I think what Jesus wants to do as the light of the world is he wants to, he wants to expose us not for shame, not for condemnation's sake, Now, stay with me here. Not for condemnation's sake, not for shame, but so that we might receive the grace and love of our Heavenly Father. All of us the same. And that's a powerful, powerful truth. So the last question is, where did the crowd go? And and did they leave or were they still there? I I think they were still there. I, I think the crowd was still gathered. I think when it says that he was alone with the woman... Uh, it was referring to the, the group, the Pharisees and the scribes that had, had brought her to the front. I think they all left. I think the crowd was still leaning in, wondering, what's going to happen next? Because the very next part of the scripture says that Jesus turns to the crowd and begins to teach again. And do you know what he says to them? He says this, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Now, remember, uh, this festival had these huge towers with lights blazing. And they were celebrating the God who was present years earlier. And I think God, through Christ, was reminding us that, that he is still alive and active today. And I think many of us, I think this is true for the Jews of his day, we're living on the faith of the past rather than looking for the God of the present in the here and now of our world. 
And Jesus makes this big, bold claim at this party. I'm the light of the world. And those who follow me never have to walk in darkness again. I think we have this, this passage. Um, those who follow me never have to walk in darkness because they have the light that leads to life. People who follow me. You, we don't have to walk in darkness anymore. And I know one of the greatest pains in life is to be exposed for the realities of our life, but it's also one of the most freeing things in life. Those of you who have been exposed, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? There's freedom that comes when Jesus begins to shine. There's new life that begins. Um, so in the story, who do you identify with today? Uh, do you identify with the crowd, those who are just interested in Jesus, like coming to, to hear what Jesus may teach? And that's okay. That's a good thing. That's one of the reasons we're reading through the Gospel of John, because we want to know what, what does God what is God like? What does he look like? And Jesus reveals this. Do you, do you identify with the woman? Um, there, are, there are people in our church, men and women alike, who have been condemned by other Christians time and time again. And, and I hope we're the kind of church where anyone, anyone, can find a spiritual home, a place where they can honestly, openly seek God. Aren't, aren't, you, aren't you hopeful that this becomes that kind of place where anybody can seek after God? So maybe today you feel like that woman who's been pushed up front and continually condemned by other people. Or maybe, maybe you feel like a Pharisee today. And, and I know admitting that, um, <laughs> doesn't sit well with us. Um, but there are times all of us, um, to get the spotlight off of us, we just, we push other people. We say, no, no, that, that right there, that, that sin, oh, I'm so much better than that. This is the sin that I want to make sure other people know about because that's one that I don't struggle with. Or, or <laughs> oh, at least I'm not that bad. God, I want to make sure you see these people and what they're doing down here to the world you've created. And, and I know I mess it up too, but, but not as bad as, as that. So thank you for that. <laughs> now, I, know, I know we laugh, but the reality is we, we all have this little comparison game from time to time that it's like, at least I'm not that bad. When Jesus shows up, it's not a spotlight. It's a floodlight. And it is good news because wherever his light shines, there is grace, there is love, there is peace, and there is hope. And this is the moment that you can say amen because we all need it. Amen. There it is. There it is. Um, Joe and the crew are going to come lead us in, in another song. And... Um, as they do, we just want to give you some space like we do every Sunday. Um, there's this cross over here. Um, and the cross is the place where our greatest sins and brokenness 
are met with God's greatest grace and love. Did you know that? That's good. That's good news. And so maybe today you want to come to this cross and maybe you want to write um, a prayer of thanks. Maybe a prayer request for someone else. Um, For some, this cross has been like a confessional. And I want you to know that's okay. Um, this, This has been the place where some of you have come and you've written time and time again, God, help me overcome my addiction. By your power, help me overcome this. That's... This is a good place to to work on that. Uh, In the back of the room are candles, and light in the Bible represents God's presence. And um, wherever God's light shines, there is life beginning to grow. And so maybe today you want to light a candle and just say, God, I need your presence in my life. I need something to grow within me. So we want to give you space if you want to light a candle for yourself, for a loved one. And then in some... Uh, different spaces around the back of the room are um, tables with communion. And communion is this reminder of the self-giving love of God through Jesus. And so maybe today you want to be reminded of that. You want to be reminded specifically of Jesus and what he has done for us. So take the bread. It's a picture of his body and eat it. And take the cup, which is a symbol of his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take that cup and drink it. And let God's grace fall all over you. In the back of the room, uh, we have prayer partners. So the far left, my left, your right, in the cave. And maybe you just need someone to pray over you today. Just slip back there and you can just say, my name's Matt, and I just need you to pray for me. And they'll, they'll do that. Um. Whatever it is that you do this morning, the cross, the candle, communion, if you sit in your your chair and just bow your head, if you stand and you sing, um, I plead with you, walk into the light of Jesus. Make a decision to step into that light. There is life there greater than you've ever experienced. There is forgiveness there. There is grace there. There is hope there. And there's a peace there that you can't know anywhere else. So step into the light this morning. Let's stand as we begin and then just feel the freedom to move around the room as we sing. God, um, we just turn to you and uh, some of us respond in different ways. I just pray your spirit would, would work in our hearts and our minds. I pray that we would receive your light, your grace, your hope, and your peace in these moments. Uh, As I was looking through scripture at all the references of light, I mean, it's from the beginning to the end. There are references that say things like, uh, God is light and there is no darkness in him. That's good news for us. We have a God that loves us and he's full of life and light. But there's this one passage that jumped out at me. And I was thinking about this solar thing that we've got going on out here. And um, I was thinking about the concept of solar panels that receive light. And if those solar panels ended with receiving light, there would be no power whatsoever, right? It would just kind of end there. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew. Uh, He's got his disciples gathered around him, and he says, you are the light of the world. Like he has this big claim that I am the light of the world, but then that is transferred to say, now you are the light of the world. And, um, you know, this solar discussion has been going on for a long time. 
and it just so happens, I, I mean, we did not plan this at all, that we, we fell into Jesus's claim on this week where this was taking place. I'm serious. It just happened. Coincidence? Anyway, um, I was thinking, you know, every time we drive in this parking lot, we should be reminded first and foremost of the love and the grace of our Heavenly Father that we receive through the Son. But it shouldn't stop there for us, that we are to be light and life to the world around us. Now, would, would you agree with me that there's darkness in this world? Do you agree with that? Yeah. We are the ones. Jesus challenges us to be the ones who bring light and life and hope and peace through the ways that we live in this world. That's our call. And my prayer for you and for me is every time we drive in, we're reminded of that. That it doesn't end with receiving the light, but we must become the light to a world that desperately needs it. So this week, as you go about your life, may you step into the light of Jesus each and every day. And may you find that there's no condemnation there, but rather there is grace and mercy and love for you, just like there was for that woman. And then, having received that, may you share that with everybody you encounter. May you share light where there is darkness. May you share grace where there is hatred. May you become peace where there is no peace in this world. And may we be the people Jesus challenged us to be. May we be a people of light and salt who make this world a better place. Amen? Well, go in his grace and his love today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.